You're listening to The Retail Perch with Shake and Raman and Gary Hawkins. We're going to discuss industry challenges and opportunities in grocery retail, AI, current and upcoming trends, and so much more. Hey guys, uh, welcome back to another episode of The Retail Perch. Today, the episode, Gary, is slightly different. We don't have guests and we're just going to be chatting amongst each other. And uh, just for the folks out there, you know, Retail Perch, we talk about all things tech, mostly related to the supermarket industry, but we do hit many topics that are not necessarily uh, centered around supermarkets, but retail in general. So if you guys have questions and topics you want us to touch, please send us an email at, I think, the retail perch at birdseye.com. And what we can do here, what we're going to do here today is talk about personalization. Okay, so we're going to try and deconstruct and uh, unpack this whole thing for you. And we're gonna do this in a couple of parts. So there's gonna be a part one to this, which you're gonna be listening, which you're listening to right now. And there'll be a part two that's followed up in the next week. And uh, we're gonna start today talking to, Gary's gonna put on his retailer hat and we're gonna kind of regress him you know, about 10 years or so. And I'm going to go through a hypnosis phase here where I regress Gary back 10 years. <laughs> and we're going to ask him as a retailer, you know, where he was at when, you know, he thought about, you know, doing something more personalized. And so Gary, the question really is, if you can describe, you know, take us back a few years when the thought was, it was still a, just a thought in your head. And what was the state of your business at that point in time? Because I think a lot of retailers who are listening to this are can probably identify and relate to, you know, what was the state of affairs in your Green Hill store? Yeah. So, so Shaker, we're actually going to go back. It's, it's almost scary to say this. Almost 30 years is really when this journey began and really when the, the journey for the retail industry began. And, you know, at that time, uh, everyone in the industry was going to market much the same, right? You know, the, the centerpiece of a retailer's marketing, whether you were a national chain or you were a single store, was that weekly ad. You know, the big question was how many pages and how many colors. But, you know, it was, was in, in, in many ways, continues to be very much a, a product-driven strategy or, or way to go to market. And, you know, everything we looked at to run the business was driven by that. You know, we would look at, uh, as every retailer did, right, you know, weekly sales, you know, you're looking at sales transaction counts by the day, uh, you're looking at department sales, you're looking at category sales, but all of that is driven from how many products did I sell, how many boxes did I sell in grocery or you know, cans of uh, soda over in the uh, beverage aisle and so on. Because that was the only information, the only data we had available to us. And what began to trigger my thinking differently was, you know, again, as a single store operator competing with, at that time, you know, we were competing with Wegmans was becoming a growing force in the market. Uh, Walmart was getting into the grocery business and, you know, more and more emphasis on price of products. And, you know, that really caused me as a single store retailer to step back and say, we simply can't play this game as a, you know, smaller operator. Even if you're a regional chain, you can't play that game, you know, versus a, a Walmart. So how can we do things differently? And I, I, be, I remember reading about, you know, a couple of retailers over in Asia and, and, you know, a couple in Europe 
that had begun to roll out at the time were called frequent shopper programs. And it was effectively giving the, the shopper a, a card or a key tag with a barcode on it that they could use to get electronic or digital coupons, if you will. Because part of going to market with this product and price focus was many, nearly all retailers were using paper coupons that they would print you know, on the front page or in their ad. And you know, the shopper having to cut those out, bring them into the store to get that special price. It was the only mechanism retailers had to get an even lower price out there and yet control how many units were sold, right? It was what it was, it worked, but it certainly was not pretty. So I began to read about a couple of retailers that were doing, begin to do this electronically. And, you know, I, I realized that, gee, if, if we effectively are barcoding that shopper, we can do more than just trigger electronic coupons. We can actually begin to collect information and data, just like we do on products, right? Scanning, you know, a, a bottle or a can of Diet Coke or something and right. understanding how many we sell each day, each week, we could begin right. to do the same thing with customers. So can I pause you there for a second? So what you're saying is that initially loyalty programs were started with a view of generally providing some incentives from a continuity basis and purely that. No, nobody was yeah. really looking at individual shopper behavior or anything like that. It was like enroll in this program, you do 100 points, you get five bucks off your next order type of, it's more continuity, right? And close. It, 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 and early on Shaker, it was even more basic than that. It was simply, I can give electronic discounts and control how many units of this product I'm gonna sell at a reduced price to that customer. Got it, got it, got it, okay. Right, the, right. the continuities came a little bit later as retailers began to understand, oh, I can also capture data around my customers or my shoppers and begin to understand their behavior and value over time, that then led into using continuities to try to impact that behavior. Got it. Got it. Understand. All right. So, so at that point in time, Gary, there still, there weren't really systems to track individual shopper behavior. You're still working at them as groups or segments or you know, who are my top shoppers and trying to understand uh, what does my top shopper spend? You're still trying to understand people as groups, correct? Yes, very, very much. And, and early on, it was very basic, right? It was simply understanding, gee, who are my most valuable customers, right? So it was simply, you know, a very simple segmentation. Who are my best customers? Who's everyone else? And, you know, early on, many of us, defined a best customer as, you know, maybe the top 30% of shoppers over some period of time, you know, because we, we began to find out and we found this common across different retailers, you know, over a year's time, the top 30% of shoppers were generating somewhere around 80% of total annual sales. Wow. Wow. So basically the first thing that happened is you start recognizing that in your customer base, if you have a hundred customers coming to your store, 30 of them re represented 80% of your volume. That's right. right. That's right. So that allowed you to start focusing your programs more towards growing 
and impacting what that 30% does. That's right. So, so, and this is where continuities began coming into play, right? Was, okay, what can we do to encourage those people to spend even more with us? And can we create incentives or rewards to get more shoppers like that? You know, shopping more regularly, spending more with us, that type thing. Right. And what exactly is it? So how, how did it help you kind of deal with competition, so to say? I mean, how did the strategy, what was the positive impact on your business? So we began to shift competition or how we went to market away from just purely, hey, a product and price. Anybody can come in the door, buy this product at this price and, you know, walk out and may never see them again. Right. We began to shift the value equation or the value proposition to our shoppers away from just product and price to rewarding them for their behavior over time. And, you know, our uh, higher value, more regular shoppers absolutely began to respond to that. You know, we, we began to significantly grow the number of people that were considered, let's say, best customers, right? And, and that really led us down. I mean, there's so many paths we could go down here in this conversation. But early on, it, it struck me that there's always a top 30%, right? It's because it's relative. We began to shift away from simply looking at relative measures to more absolute measures. For example, how many customers do we have that are spending $100 a week on average in a period of time? you know, and creating scorecards for ourselves to better understand and track and measure the impact we were having. Got it. Got it. Okay. So, so you're saying that, you know, you, you went from a product centric and department and category type of view of just looking at sales to trying to understand who's contributing to these sales, right? Yes. You know, which sets of customers actually contributing to these sales and do we have any levers to shift their behavior to drive greater participation in your store, right? right. So basically, you start lifting the covers of your own data and start looking underneath to see what's causing these shifts. It, it, absolutely. And we began to, what made this become even more powerful, uh, you know, beyond just myself, but across our organization and our management team was uh, including in that weekly sales report that everyone was so used to looking at, you know, we began to include customer-based measures in that, right? You know, the first of, okay, what percentage of our sales and transactions are we identifying to customers? And then, you know, from that, what's, uh, how well are we, are we retaining customers week to week? How many of our gold shoppers are shopping week to week? Right. And, and that began to then sort of filter down through through more and more of what we did. You know, it was understanding from a merchandising point of view, gee, if we put this product on the front page, who did it attract? Did it attract more gold shoppers or more lower value shoppers? Uh, and, you know, so so slowly over time, customer data began to permeate how we measured and managed the business and how we went to market. Got it. So, so you, you started looking beyond sales to, again, like we talked about, 
who's impacting the sales, and then try and identify who are the key drivers in that specific category department overall store. And then how do you then start devising your merchandising strategies that is going to impact that each segment of that shopper, right? That's right. That's right. So, you know, through all this period, you know, for probably a, a 10 year uh, plus period, you know, we, we worked with, we experimented with a lot of different ways to use continuities uh, in some, some way, shape or form, right, as incentives or rewards. So, you know, it could be, you know, for example, I think we ran the first free Thanksgiving turkey program, you know, digitally you know, a long time ago now, you know, and, and then other things, you know, spend so much in six weeks and get this reward uh, and so on. We did a lot of that in a lot of different ways. But as we did that, one of the things I began to notice was that no matter what that incentive or that reward was that was offered to all our shoppers, right? If they adjusted their behavior, no matter what it was, only a certain group of shoppers would respond to it. It, it may have been a, a lot of them like that, you know, free Thanksgiving turkey program, or it may have been a much smaller group. But as I began to notice this and, 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 and track this and measure this, it took my thinking down yet another path of, well, gee, how can we put together an incentive reward structure that is more universal in its appeal so that we're effectively touching and benefiting every shopper, not just some of them that that particular reward appeals to. And that's what started sending me down the path of personalization. Now, this is fascinating. So what you're saying is that, you know, of course, everybody is familiar with continuity programs. When you think about loyalty, most people think about, okay, I'm going to accumulate some points and there's some clubs and the baby club and the pet club. So you're saying that that is now pretty much an established idea. There are a lot of retailers yep. doing that, but that is not personalization. That is just a kind of like a, a very broad-based incentive scheme to encourage people uh, and to be really deliver, provide them some meaningful value for joining your loyalty program. But then there is a next step beyond that, which is really what you're talking about is personalization, correct? Yes, yes. And, and that, you know, I, I think really could be framed as the retailer, you know, moving to become relevant to every shopper, not just some shoppers, right? And, and it's almost a, it almost becomes a form of recognition that I know you and I'm going to provide you savings or information on products that I know are relevant and important to you. An analogy I sometimes use uh, that I, I think works is, you know, the airline frequent flyer programs. We, we both have traveled a lot over the years, uh, maybe not as much the last couple of years, but seems to be coming back. But, you know, airline uh, frequent flyer programs, again, only appeal to a certain subset of flyers, right? It, they don't necessarily appeal to the very occasional flyer. They very much appeal to those that fly a lot. But even within that, you know, the rewards, free flights and that type of thing, after a while, begin to even lose their appeal. 
what I found in my experience was the, the hook for me was the recognition in the form of, you know, if there was a flight delayed or canceled, American Airlines would go out of their way to make sure I, Gary Hawkins, who was seen as a very valuable customer, was booked on the next flight or had a hotel at the airport that night or whatever it may be. And it was that almost individual recognition delivered in their case by way of services that, that had a huge impact on me. Right. Now, this is fantastic. You know, and I wanted maybe, you know, we've probably spoken for about 20, 25 minutes, and I want people to digest this information because, you know, primarily we're talking about the evolution of going from a product-centric approach, then maybe putting in some kind of loyalty, providing incentives for people to join your loyalty program. So there has to be a tangible benefit, uh, right? Whether it's based on price or earning rewards by accumulating points, and then what we have not talked about, of course, is we haven't talked about how this all happens, right? So there's a there's a back end to you know data being collected from the point of sale system that's finding its way into some systems that are then usable by the retailer to do what you're talking about, Gary, right? Yeah. And no. and that's really you know so we haven't really touched on the technology. We're just talking about you know a loyalty from a very general standpoint, and I think a lot of people may have the question here, Gary, which is great i know i want to do this you know how do i do how do i do this right because it's the how becomes uh, at some point becomes important and relevant as a question so now i think we've established very clearly why this is important right because you need to start growing your shoppers because if all you're doing all the time is just trying to acquire new shoppers and not paying attention to your valuable shoppers then you're going to have a revolving door of shoppers coming through and there's going to be a lot of marketing dollars spent in just acquisition and very yep. little spent on retention and growth, right? Yeah, no, that's right. And I think it's important for listeners to understand and to view what's happening here as an evolution. But this evolution is moving faster and faster, right? As we proceed up that, that growth curve of, of tech and computer processing power. It, you know, and again, maybe another quick analogy. For decades, in what we think of today as you know mass retail, you know the, those early generations of cash registers, point of sale systems, only allowed a retailer to track how many dollars were brought in that day. There was no sense of you know what product this was, what department it came from. It was just keeping track of you know dollars and pennies. The next iteration of those cash registers. Uh, that had a few more buttons on them uh, allowed the retailer to now begin capturing at a department or a uh, even you know a primary category level, right? So the cashier would ring up sixty nine cents, you know, grocery department beverage, and so now as a retailer, I could look at the end of the day, oh, I just this many dollars today or this week in beverage, but it was only with the advent of, of the barcode and scanning that it opened the door to this explosive growth of, of data that retailers could begin to look at item level data, right? And look at everything that's come out of that. It, it really was that shift in, in data and data capture that gave birth to Walmart's logistics prowess and capability, right? That's helped, that helped Walmart grow so big so fast they mastered right. logistics driven from that data. And 
the, the, what we've been speaking about here thus far today is sort of the next step in the evolution, which was effectively scanning shoppers. Right. And I guess a lot of that got accelerated with the advent, of course, of the Internet and more specifically, you know, digital engagement, you know, where I guess a lot of digital native companies started realizing and I guess they had to they had they were collecting information on interactions on an individual basis. And I think the, the way these systems were architected, you were tracking shoppers at an individual basis. And, but that was simply not happening in brick and mortar stores, because like you said, you know, stuff was just coming to the point of sale system. And then you were just more interested in seeing what was the sales in this department, not who actually impacted that sale in that department. We had no view to that customer or that shopper, right? Our right. view of the world stopped at the product going over the, the scanner at the checkout. Right, right. And, you know, and I, I know as we speak to retailers, uh, you and I come across, Gary, it seems like a lot of retailers have been kind of stuck in that point in time. And they haven't really, because their systems have not evolved or they haven't put systems in place to start looking at data from a customer centric point of view. At best, maybe some retailers have done some segmentation and they're looking at shoppers in groups but yep. uh, very few really have the infrastructure in place to start looking at shoppers on an individual basis. That, that's right. That's right. You know, many, right? many of those retailers early on with, uh, you know, loyalty efforts um, were only capturing information at the household level, which again was, you know, light years beyond where we had been just right. looking at products. But I, I think, you know, there were a few forward looking retailers that understood eventually we had to shift to the individual. Right. So let's talk about, you know, why? I mean, what, what's the obvious value for thinking for personalization? I mean, you know, I have, you know, if I'm a retailer, I've got a very, let's say a very strong loyalty program. I got 90 plus percent of people who are identifying themselves. And my loyalty program is, let's say, really strong. You know, there's clear incentives and benefits for somebody joining my loyalty program. Why should I even consider going to the next step? So I, I think there's a, a couple of very important reasons here. You know, one is, is simply the opportunity that that retailer has to further improve their business, further strengthen it, further build that relationship with their customers by being more relevant to them individually. Uh, but the other is competition. You know, you look at someone like a Kroger that is a master at, at this game, right? They've been at this 20 years now, uh, and they do a, you know, very powerful job of not only capturing data, you know, they capture, gosh, it's something like 97% or more of their total sales accurately right. back to their shoppers. But they use that data to strategically personalize offers. And, you know, through that, they are actively growing the number of shoppers they have purchasing different categories across the store and growing share of wallet from those customers they have shopping with them. Any competing retailer is going to be in a tough place to compete with that. And, you know, I've seen that happen time and again, 
uh, in markets where you know Kroger competes, where a competing retailer, even if they've they've got you know some information, they they can't understand why their sales aren't stronger. They can't understand why their margins are beginning to to soften up or weaken, and it's because of what Walmart is doing with sort of the stealth marketing strategy. Got it. Got it. So so. We're at a point now because there's competition in your area or where other retailers may be utilizing customer level information to drive incentives, which you can't even find out on their website because this is being delivered, you know, in a stealth fashion uh, right. directly to the consumer. You may not even know why your business is being impacted. So, that, and, that. and the only defense you have against that is essentially say, hey, I need to start understanding my customers better and start dealing with them on an individual basis so I can better retain and grow them. That, that's right. And that points to really the third reason why retailers, you know, I, in my mind, need to go down this path. And it is shopper expectations, right? As, you know, the internet, the, the, the web has grown as more and more people over the last, you know, 10, 15 plus years uh, are shopping online, they've become very accustomed to a more customized, personalized experience, right? Anytime I go to Amazon, you know, what I see on that page is driven by my past behavior. Whenever I go to Netflix, what is being presented to me is driven by my past behavior and the behavior of other people like me. You know, there's, there's example after example of that. And shoppers expect this type of relevancy today, and they're expecting it from brick and mortar retail because, you know, you really stop to think about it. There's not a lot of pure brick and mortar retail left. Right. Now, many, many retailers in the physical world now have an online presence. Correct. Correct. So I guess, you know, I, I want to take a, a pause here and kind of tell our listeners that will continue part two, because this is probably a good logical end to this episode, where we're really talking about the history of this data uh, and really why you should consider personalization. And, you know, we'll talk about the hows in the next episode, but, you know, just to recap what Gary said, you know, I think we come from a a product-centric world because I think technology didn't allow you to collect information at a customer level. The POS system evolved, the data became better. You were then able to institute these barcodes which allowed you to tag transactions to individual customers. People started then creating incentives for people to identify themselves, which was the birth of the loyalty schemes, loyalty yeah. mechanisms. And then, then at some point, some companies realized since I had customer level information like a Kroger, I can start doing something with that information to drive individual behaviors and then affect yes. my total. And today it's just a matter of, you know, this competition that's doing it. And this is the only way to fight competition. And secondly, because of the proliferation of digital engagement, people are actually expecting more personalized interactions. So it's a combination of, you know, what you need to do to protect against competition and also meet shopper expectations. You know, that's yes. the main drivers. And I guess we'll talk in the next episode about, you know, how do you go about doing this? What's the cost involved? Because I think for a lot of people, they feel that, gosh, I mean, this looks like, you know, expensive technology and it might have to, might cost me a lot. And can I afford to do it? 
right? Yeah. I think we've established here clearly that, you know, much like e-commerce, uh, you can you cannot afford not to do it. You have to do it. But actually the cost is not what you think. It's, it's more costly not to do it than it is to do it. And it's actually more profitable for you to do it. And there's a very quick way to jump on board. So Gary, this has been a great conversation. I hope our listeners have uh, got a good gist of it. Anything you'd like to add before we can... We uh, uh, no, kind of wind down here. We'll pick it up in the next episode. Yeah, we'll look forward to continuing next uh, next episode. Terrific. I hope you guys have got some good information here. And next week, please listen in and we'll continue on how you can actually go to market with uh, personalization. Make sure to join us every Monday and connect with us at The Retail Perch on Instagram and Facebook. And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at theretailperch at birdseye.com. Until next time, this is Shaker. And this is Gary, signing off.